Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, Python news and headlines delivered directly to your earbuds. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Aachen. We're here to share the Python news with you and show basically share the cool stuff that Brian and I found for the week. Brian, you know what I think is cool that I can open up, I can basically go to any Python object or module or even function or whatever and just say, tell me what is in you, dir this thing, and out pops all of its capabilities, mostly anyway. Yeah, I love that. Do you know what REPL stands for? REPL? REPL. Read, eval, print, loop. Just the okay. Just what you get when you type Python. Yeah. that Like most of the time now, the only time I open that is to try out something little or to actually to use the dir command. <laughs> you know what? I do do that as well. I'm like, all right, I'm going to open this up and just do a dir here. Okay. Yeah. Back to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just to look at the interface for something. So I was excited to see a new project from Leica9M on GitHub called pdir2. And when you use it, so it's P-D-I-R-2 when you're installing it. But when you use it, it's just P-D-I-R. And it's just a replacement. And it's cool because it's all colorized and it splits it out and splits it up into into one line per item. And it pulls the, uh, the, uh, the doc string out of each item so that you can... So you can see that. And it's um, for what I'm using it for when I pull up the REPL, it does what it should do automatically. And I like it. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's kind of like if you typed help a thing, but it gives you meaningful stuff, even if there's no real help to be had. And it'll categorize things like, here are all the classes, here are all the functions, here's the stuff that I have no idea what it is, but it's also there. So we'll put it over here. And if there's doc strings, it'll put the doc strings there for like, here's the description of each thing. It's it's really nice. Yeah. And it, it does, um, it like puts all the dunder functions out of the way. So those aren't in the middle of everything too. Yeah. Yeah. Those land in the other. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, it's part of my uh, repertoire now. I'm going to, I'm never going to let it go. One of the things I would like to ask somebody to do is to help out with the project and convert the uh, readme to um, whatever that other thing is. Uh, restructured? Yeah, restructured. So that it, work, it looks good on PyPI because uh, it's in, the readme is in Markdown and PyPI still doesn't like Markdown. So I wonder, did you look at it on PyPI.org? No, I haven't. Versus no. uh, the the older older one, it, it's worth looking at that one. I have no idea what it'll look like there either. But that's the new one. Maybe it maybe it understands Markdown. Who knows? I would also like to recommend that people pair this with PT Python. Do you know PT Python? I don't. Oh my god, PT Python is awesome. Like I don't use the REPL very much. I'm everyone knows I love PyCharm and I kind of live there. But when I do go into the REPL, it really annoys me that I need to completely type everything that is there that it doesn't autocomplete, especially when I'm exploring something new, which is like why we said often we go into the REPL. Well, PT Python is basically, I think it's a little bit based on Emacs, but it's like a different version of the REPL that has code completion and a little bit of a UI over the terminal. It's, it's really nice. So uh, these days, if I want Python, I type PT Python. Okay, well, I'll have to check that out. And just to let people know, I did... Okay, so I'll take back that request because I looked it up on pypi.org and it looks great. It even has that animated GIF on there. So Oh yeah, so there's a little animated GIF that shows you how it works, which is quite cool. So yeah, check out the check out this project. It's easy to use. Uh, the one thing to notice is you've got a pip install peter2 versus peter, but then the modules just pdir, right? So there's a little bit of a nomenclature funkiness, but it it, it is cool. And you uh, know what else? Like, go ahead. I just, uh, yeah, just want people to remember that. And speaking of memory. <laughs> speaking of memory, absolutely. So 
more, this has happened to me once in my life. I have not used these tools to solve it, but here's the deal. Like suppose that you somehow through probably your fault, but it could have been like a, a hard drive failure or something. Somehow you've lost your source code. So there's a guy who was using a source control wrong and wiped away all of his files off of his directory, but he was still had the program running in memory. It was a Python program. So he used two really interesting packages that I'd never heard of. Had you heard of these? No, I haven't. One of them is Pyrocyte, like Parasite, but for Python, P-Y-R-O-C-Y-T-E. And the other one is Uncompile 6, because apparently it's one of the few that supports both Python 2 and Python 3, and multiplication is awesome. So Uncompile 6. All right, so the idea is with Pyrocyte, you can attach to any running Python process. And you basically get this REPL, like we were talking about, to just explore its memory, to see what its values are. You can even like force it to load other scripts and run them. You can go to like a in-memory like singleton object and like work with its data. All sorts of stuff you can do in real time while it's still running around. That's pretty cool. So basically what he did is he said, all right, I'm going to hook up to it with Pyrocyte. I'm going to force the thing to load uncompile and I'm going to call uncompile on itself and get my code back. Wow. <laughs> but mostly the, mostly the cool work. Th- it worked. Yes, it worked. There are people, all, there's like a whole bunch of people. It's a, a GitHub gist at the bottom of the gist. They're like, oh my God, I just had to try this because I couldn't believe it would work. Oh, that's so awesome. Wow. Yeah, it works. It, yeah. And they, I think there's either a video or a little GIF that is just like, a, that basically shows you how it works if you go to pyrocyte.com, which okay. that's the coolest takeaway for me on this whole one. That's awesome. Good job. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know what I think? You and I were on a mission, right? To make sure that Python is modern Python, not legacy Python, right? Yes, definitely. And I was really surprised. They're still adding quite interesting and new data types well, to e- Python 3. Even stuff that's been around for a little while that I just haven't like heard of. I've Because of this show, I've learned about the simple namespace as a... Wait, no, that's not it. The name tuple class capitals. But let's get into this. There's an article called uh, New Interesting Data Types in Python 3. And it just goes through three that I really like. And they're, uh, the three types are types.mapping proxy type, types.simple namespace, and typing.named tuple. And the mapping proxy type is like really cool. It takes like something like a dictionary or it says i can't think of anything other than dictionary it says it take only takes mapping types but yeah it's really cool but it's like a, a read only dictionary basically right yeah so you you take a normal like maybe a normal dictionary and like if if you had an api or something you wanted to expose that dictionary to through the api you could wrap it in this mapping proxy type and return that and i tried it out and so for instance one part of your project could use the mapping proxy type version and read everything. And the uh, part of your system that can have, that still has write access, that is synchronized. So it isn't a copy. You can, when one part writes to it, it gets updated in the the other place too. So Oh, it's like a view into an existing dictionary, huh? Yeah, it's a read-only view. Sweet. So that's nice. And then not too long ago, I started using where I really wanted classes or something. And I was using things like tuples or lists where there really should have been something more structured. I've been using the lowercase named tuple. Right, out of the collections names, out of the collections module, right? Yeah, out of collections. And there is this thing in types 
called types.simplenamespace that uses a simple, similar sort of functionality. You can just, if you define a type to be that type, you can just, uh, the parameters, when you instantiate it, those just become elements in, inside the object. It's pretty convenient. Yeah, that's cool. So you can do a little more organization. And then, of course, the typing.nameTuple class is, is really nice. I hadn't been using it. I've always just used collections.nameTuple. But I think I'm going to be switching. Now, one word of caution, I suppose, is a lot of these are, they require pretty modern Python. Some of the techniques they show require 3.6.1. Like 3.6.0 is not enough. So just be aware that some of these require pretty new versions. Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess it's hard for me to remember because I'm, I'm usually trying to, to stay, I don't go into the in development Python, but I try to use the latest released one. I do as well. You know where that bites me though, is on my digital ocean servers. It's running the version of Ubuntu that only has three, five, two or something like that. Yeah. So if it's a, literally a three, six feature, I'll put it in my app and I'll ship it like, Oh, it doesn't work. What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. And I, I forget that, that three, five is really for three version three dot x three five is being used more than three six right now. So yeah, just because of the distributions, I think it's in my mind that's like the minimum bar for three three stuff is three five. Yeah. Okay. But I think these are these are great things to start um, adding to your repertoire if you if you have control over where it's going to run. Those are yeah. good things. Yeah, and some of them come from like Python three three or three four. They're fine. There's just a few techniques there that are are brand new. And what I like about the one of the things I like about this article is it's it's pretty short and it gives examples of how how you how to use these um, pretty concisely. So that's good. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Speaking of how do I use things, wouldn't it be awesome if I could just go to my Bash shell and just type how do I and type a thing? Like I'd like to say maybe I want to know how to print a, a stack trace or trace back in Python, I could print, I could say, how do I print stack trace Python and just type that? Yeah, that'd be cool. It'd be cool if my computer knew that, right? Well, it turns out we ran across a project called How Do I, and if you install How Do I, if you pip install it, it will give you instant coding and shell answers on the command line. So I can say, how do I connect SQL Alchemy? And it'll give me the Python code to connect for SQL Alchemy. I can say, how do I Python save dictionary? That's three words. And it'll show me how to use the JSON load S dump functionality right there in the command line. Now, sometimes it gives me like a stupid answer. Like if you type that, how do I Python save? How do I Python load JSON? It just shows you JSON, which is stupid. But you can do a dash A and it'll give you all the answers it's found on the internet related to that. And usually somewhere in that list is something decent. It has some sources like Stack Overflow and I don't know where they all come from, but they're all over the place. It's cool. I can say, how do I debug Python? It'll show me the PDB commands. I can say, how do I change my path in Mac OS? And it'll show me how to do that, assuming I'm running Bash, things like that. Okay. I'm going to try it cool? out. Yeah. How do I put a worm on a hook? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it doesn't so, work. Yeah, it's, it's got to be something <laughs> technical, I think. So the other, th there's another one that I want to point out that I thought was really funny, but actually it's kind of useful. Oh, what's that? It starts with a command. <laughs> it starts. It start, actually starts with a cartoon. And basically the idea is if you type in a command that you think you know on the shell, but you get it wrong, you can curse at your shell and it will potentially fix it for you. Yeah, I love this. So this thing is called the F. I'm not going to complete it so we can keep our clean rating in iTunes. But uh, the link is in the show notes. And basically you type that after you've made a mistake on the shell and it goes, oh, you probably meant this. Were you trying to do this get checkout branch thing? You did a little bit wrong. The F. 
oh, here's the command, enter, and it'll just automatically fix it for you. It's beautiful. Yeah, nice. So plus you get a little, little fresh, yeah, you get to let some frustration out on the thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, what you got for us? What's next? Oh, yeah, I got to go back to that tab. We have a, uh, yeah, we're at a a listener. So, you know, it just seems like we just did the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> just a few days ago. How no, that that we had a, a listener commented on the last episode. Last episode, we did mention some feedback from a listener about async speeding up their some work. And we have another one from a comment this time. And this is a, a project that a listener shared with us. And we'll, we've got a link in the show notes, but it's a, a project called PyMarsis. And, and it, um, and I, I wasn't familiar with eMarsis. I get, it doesn't really matter, but it's a CR, it's a cloud-based CRM and it's a Python interface, but I'll just read this. The gist of it is it sped it up. And this is from Diego. Thanks, Diego. Another awesome episode. Thanks, Michael and Brian. And if you say that we do something awesome, I'll totally put you on the show. Okay. About async IO being awesome. I had my own experience. I had to send information to about a hundred information about hundreds of thousands of users to a CRM through their public API daily. And with with synchronous stuff, it would have taken 50 hours a day, which you can't do that. And they added async and it went down to 20 minutes. So that's 150 times faster, which is awesome. awesome. Yeah, they were using requests before. And in order to update their CRM, it took 50 hours per day problem. So... <laughs> They switched to the AIO HTTP client stuff that has async and await and 20 minutes. In fact, he told us an interesting story. He said, the first time I ran it, it like opened so many connections that it crashed his Mac. And so he actually had to implement a semaphore limiting system, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I did like that he added that, that he added the semaphores, but the GitHub link that he had put up, I didn't see any semaphore usage in there. So I've also in our show notes linked another article that talks about using asynchronous IO with semaphores to uh, limit how many connections you're making. Yeah, no, it's, thanks Diego for putting that up there. Anybody who wants to have a comment on the show, you know, you can contact us on Twitter where we're at Python Bytes, but also every episode has a discuss section at the end. So if you want to talk about an episode, share a link or whatever, drop in there. So what's the link for this episode? pythonbytes.fm slash 18. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Cool. Yeah, it's it's super, I made it super easy to find. And do you know what would el- what would be super easy is if somebody would make an easy way for me to do a pyramid installation. That's right, because, so the way I made that slash 18 work, and you can still go to like slash episode slash list or whatever, is I use constraints in the routing infrastructure. And so one of the things that I've been doing a lot of work with lately is with building pyramid web apps and trying to really help people jumpstart what they're up to, right? Like I can go to pyramid and create a, a web app and I get basically a web app that runs and here's the view function and here's a template. Go, go write the web app from scratch. And I kind of wanted to help the world not start from scratch, but start from near the end. So I've been doing a lot with cookie cutter, more on that later, but I decided to create a cookie cutter template that is an opinionated cookie cutter template for creating pyramid web apps that have 
most of what you need pre-built and pre-configured and factored the way you would for a large professional app, not for like a one file starter thing. Yeah, that's great. So I created a cookie cutter thing called cookie cutter dash pyramids dash dash talk Python starter. And so this came out of my Python for entrepreneurs course, but you don't have to have anything to do with that to play with this template. So what you do is it comes out with like, when you just say create the website, it'll create like a shared layout. So there's one place where all your general navigation and look and feel goes. It has uh, handlers for uh, class management. It has like secure user management using things like Passlib and other techniques, bootstrap, logbook, roll bar integration, MailChimp integration, outbound email integration, power for static file management, all just the list goes on and on. But it's very much closer to where you need to be for a professional pyramid app to get started, in my opinion, rather than like basically here's one file now create the whole thing from scratch so if people want to check that out that's on github you can just cookie cutter space the github url and you're off to the races it that's needs great. a little bit more documentation i'm going to work on that this week but it's really close but it's a it's a good start and i'm, I'm actually pretty excited about it and you've got one your course is one of the very few that i've seen that um really teaches people how to do pyramid as well yeah thanks yeah it's definitely one of the few ones on on pyramid which is great so here's like one more resource basically this this is going to be part of the end of the that course. And, you know, the first time I heard about Cookie Cutter, I really kind of thought it was a little silly, but um, it's actually turning out to be quite a useful tool for a lot of spaces. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, the more I use it, the more I like it. So I've definitely been putting some effort into it. It's great. Well, that's the end of our six. So... Um... Do you have anything to share with us, Michael? No, nothing. Uh, nothing other than this template thing. That's that's really all I have to share. I've been just cranking on my classes. I hear that you're probably still writing on your book. That's getting close, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's getting a lot closer, and I wish it was closer than it is. But I'm I'm uh, I've got a whole bunch of actually I'm I'm kind of overwhelmed with both work and with gratitude <laughs> that I've had a lot of great people, incredible programmers, and good writers help me out with uh, technical reviews on the first four chapters and a lot of great feedback. And now I got to go rewrite everything. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, but <laughs> thanks a lot. No, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the day where we can announce your book on here. It'll be great. Any day now with that book, huh? <laughs> now, in, any, hopefully, we. the goal still is to have something to sell by PyCon. Beautiful. All right. Well, thanks, Brian, for thank sharing you. sharing news. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. And get the full show notes at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item you want featured, just visit pythonbytes.fm and send it our way. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.